Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. First off, thanks for having this conversation. I know we're going to take it in interesting places because I have a lot of questions. And as I was saying to Ben earlier, Kevin, I'm very bullish on crypto, but I want to play the role of a skeptic because everyone asks me questions all the time. And as you know, sometimes it's stressful figuring all this stuff out. And and crypto is a, is a complicated subject. We like to think it's simple, but Main Street world, it, it's not simple for the average person to use crypto. So anyway, let's go on with Wonderfy. I'm a fan, but describe it to the listeners and I have tons of questions. I think you're bang on. It's We're at a point where we haven't got full-on mainstream adoption yet and there's there's a few key issues that are keeping people out. So that's, what, that's really what we're focused on at, at Wonderfy. So I think there's two key issues. One is people are afraid of dealing with platforms that are, are going to get them in trouble or that could lose their money. So it's kind of the security and compliance side of things. And then the second is just how complex and fragmented the space is. So that means you're using many different wallets, accounts, passwords, platforms to achieve one or two things. And that just gets unwieldy. Even for people that are tech savvy, it's it's a it's an absolute nightmare. So what we're doing with Wonderfy is creating this unified access to digital assets in a compliant way. So that really means we've got centralized exchanges. So platforms that are similar to like a Coinbase or a Binance that are licensed, regulated by currently by the Canadian regulators, but we're expanding it into many other jurisdictions. That gives people the peace of mind of not just retail, but also high net worth institutional, you know, investors and traders that they're dealing with a regulated entity. So we have those centralized platforms. We have a decentralized app, which focuses on DeFi, this high growth segment within crypto that more of the advanced side of the market is uh, working within. And then we also touch on gaming and, and NFTs, which is another big area within digital assets. And so we're bringing all of those opportunities together under one banner, allowing people to access them with a single sign-on and giving people the confidence that they're dealing with compliant, regulated platform. And Kevin, how did you two guys meet? How did you guys get involved? Uh, we met through um, you know, a mutual friend, I guess, when we were starting to explore increasing our uh, operating company's portfolio to crypto. And uh, we do that two ways. You know, We either buy the 
uh, the projects themselves invest in something like Polygon or FTX or Circle. I have investments in all of those. And then, of course, uh, I was very interested in decentralized wallets. But my premise of all of this and the challenge a lot of investors have is I'm already in the financial services industry. I have many different operating companies that are required to operate under a compliant mandate, both by the SEC, the OMF, uh, the AMF, I mean, the OSC. And so all of these companies are, are, are operating companies. And so there's no concept of um, rogue cowboy crypto for me. I don't, I don't have that option. I can't trade on uh, rogue exchanges. I have to be 100% compliant. And most institutional investors don't own any crypto for the reasons I'm talking about. So what I found interesting when we met Ben and the team was that the whole mandate was around compliance and working with the regulator. So that was really refreshing because my thesis is the regulated exchanges are going to, in the long run, win the race because the banks are only going to operate with them. They're not going to work on platforms that aren't 100% compliance in the geographies they're in. So if you're in, in United Arab Emirates and you're the FAB bank, the largest bank in the Middle East, you don't touch crypto right now because you have to find someone that's compliant. Even though even though your all your clients want it, they can't do it yet. Same with the Canadian banks. They'll eventually come on board here, uh, but they're only going to do it with someone like a Wonderfy because we're 100%, 100% compliant, whether it's a centralized or decentralized wallet. So that's the investment thesis and why I, I invested. So, so but I... I want to I want to take it back one step further because in order for them to 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 touch crypto any of these regulated banks or 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 exchanges they have to actually want to be involved in crypto and you know like the the this is still a big question like the the head of the Bank of England just said he can't see any intrinsic value in bitcoin and how would you respond to that that's kind of the top level question and then it gets you know I get more um rarefied but what do you respond to that? Like, where do you see the intrinsic value? Well, let, 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 me, let me answer it. I mean, that's an interesting opinion, but it's one person's opinion. I, I deal in a different universe. One of the businesses I'm, I operate is indexing. So we index for sovereign wealth funds, pension plans. And I'll give you an example. Let's say you're a, a oil-rich Middle East sovereign fund and you're running a $900 billion mandate. You're making $250 million a day. That, that's actually the United Arab Emirates. So they don't need more exposure to oil. So they go to the indexing industry and I'm just one participant. There's many indexers. And they say, look, design an industry for us that is the S&P 500, less airlines, less oil. We don't want to own either of those. We own our own, we have our own airline, we own it. We have unlimited quantities of oil. So we don't need any more. So design indices. And so bottom line is, I asked them, what do you want to do on crypto? What, what index and what they were doing for a while, they stopped doing it now, and I'll explain, is they said, we can't own crypto because the SEC hasn't ruled on it yet. And BlackRock hasn't ruled on it yet. And BlackRock's our largest manager. BlackRock is the largest money manager in the world and does most of the sovereign work outside of the indexing. And so uh, what we will do is design us an index of US trading mining companies. And for a while, they traded in proxy with Bitcoin. So if your marathon had a hive, we indexed all these things and they would trade an exact proxy with the price of Bitcoin. It would go up, the stocks would go up, go down, they go down because they were keeping all their coin on their balance sheet. And then the SEC order came out with the memo saying, we're gonna 
we're going to ask these companies to do carbon audits because all of these Bitcoin miners um, are using carbon offsets, which everybody knows carbon credits are bullshit. So the SEC is calling their bluff on it. You can't say you own an acre of the Amazon forest and you're spewing out, you know, coal generated electricity of Bitcoin mine and say you're clean. It doesn't work. So we had to unindex all those shares. And the reason I'm telling you this story is in those dialogues, I started asking them, if you could own Bitcoin direct, how much would you put, would you take down? So a typical index, let's say you're running a hundred billion, which is a really small fund for sovereign wealth. That's the smallest. There's 18 funds in the United Arab Emirates. That's the smallest. The largest is a trillion. So they said we would probably start at 75 basis points. 75 basis points of $100 billion is a shitload of Bitcoin. And once they put in the 75 basis point order, if it goes up, they sell it down to 75 bips. If it goes down, they buy it back up to 75 bips. They maintain their prorated position. That's what's missing in the entire crypto industry. Because once you get the allocation to the sovereign wealth, then there's always a bid. There's always a bid. There's always a market. There's either they're selling it or buying it. You have liquidity and you get less, much less volatility. And so what we have now is a situation where you know people are saying, oh, Bitcoin's great. It's $800 billion. That is nothing. Nothing. That's a rounding error. It's nothing. And the potential, and the reason I want to be an investor is at some point in the next two to three years, the SEC will put policy out on Bitcoin, Ethereum, and stablecoins. And I know that because I was with Senator Lummis yesterday in Washington, and I looked at her bill. A lot of other private people are advising on her bill. Toomey had dinner with Danes last night in Washington, also putting forward a bill. These guys are moving forward. And so you want to be on the right side of this because the minute it gets indexed with the real money, that's when Bitcoin goes to 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, whatever it's going to go, because the halving is in two years. So that's a lot of that's a lot of information that you may find interesting or not. But but that's sort of my thinking on it. Look, and I, and I totally agree. I mean, there's not only the sovereign wealth funds, there's the the cash reserves of the entire S&P 500, uh, which is not in Bitcoin at all right now. But eventually some percentage of that will, will go into Bitcoin. So it's easy to kind of get to the numbers when you start throwing around facts like that. But what I'm interested in is crypto really is an evolution of currency and, and this notion of trustless currency. You don't, you don't have to trust any intermediary in the middle. The outcome's guaranteed. If I send you money, you'll get it. And there's not 16 banks in the middle and fees all around. And there's no central bank that's playing with the value of your money. You, you understand completely the economics of it. Is this enough to support it as not just an investment, as, but as viable as either a store of value or a currency? Like what's what's your view on is on how this is an evolution of money? Well, I, let's just stick with let's stick with uh, stable coins for a moment because that's that's already policy is is already being proposed. So I agree with you on the payment system side. Um, I'll give you a real use case. I do a lot of real estate investing and often in other geographies. And um, I won't mention the bank because I have a relationship with them, but we were closing a real estate transaction in our portfolio in a different country, in a different currency. And we uh, we sent millions and millions of dollars four days ahead, because usually, you know, an ACH transfer takes 36 hours. It's so inefficient. Um, and they lost it. They lost it. They lost it for 24 hours. 
Now, first of all, that's unforgivable, um, but it also raises a bunch of questions when it's, you know, $10,000, that's one thing, but when it's millions and there's interest involved for 48 hours, it's 48 hours actually, where's the money? Who pays the interest? So I actually called the board member on that bank and said, you know, um, have you ever heard of USDC? Because I would prefer to transfer USDC from your branch in Canada to the other countries, same, same bank. But there's the use case, as you suggested, that would have taken two seconds, fees would have been 100 times less, would have happened immediately, and I wouldn't have had to have done any effects, wouldn't have had to bought Swiss francs, could have just done it directly. So there's so much potential there that I really think that this whole thing will be the 12th sector of the S&P in about 10 years. And so if that's the case, I might as well invest now in the infrastructure. I mean, Wonderfy is really an infrastructure deal. It doesn't care what the price of Bitcoin is or any other token. It, it has exchanges. All it cares about is trading, volatility. So I don't care if Bitcoin goes to 100,000 or goes down to 1,000. It doesn't matter to me, as long as it's being traded on one of the exchanges that Wonderfy owns. No, I, I agree. And, and one, of the, one of the problems I see with crypto is that there really, and, and Ben, you were alluding to this also, there really are, it's too complicated. Like if you want to buy a handful of altcoins that you think are interesting, you might have to go to gate.io, you might have to go to Kraken, Binance, Coinbase, different wallets for different blockchains. You know, then which kind of cross blockchain protocol do you use? It gets complicated. And I think thing it's sort of like when e-trading first started, like with e-trade or or interactive brokers or these these early digital traders, people didn't really trust them. But they made it so easy, it became the norm for, for trading stocks. And I kind of think crypto is not going to be fully accepted by Main Street until it's easy. Like people ask me, should I have a wallet in a, a safety deposit box or on Coinbase? And I'd rather not keep all my holdings in a safety deposit box. What if, you know, that's, that feels more scary to me than keeping it with a, a trusted institution, to be honest. Yeah. I, and I think the early adopters of crypto have a very different persona than than the mainstream, and we're we're, we're definitely seeing that. That's something that that we honed in on, and, and was the thesis of uh, of, of Wonderfy when, when we started the company, and, and continues to be. It's that the early adopters are people that are you know engineers. They 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 have a you know trading experience. Um, they you know they have that sort of background and interest to really get into the weeds and use these multiple platforms, optimize, do all of these things that um, that uh, that are that are more sort of advanced uh, mechanisms and and, uh, and and opportunities. Mainstream users, the first thing that we found when we started canvassing people that were interested in crypto but had never opened an account was that they don't care about ninety five percent of the stuff that people in like really in the crypto space care about. It's um, just just like you talked about with E-Trade, it's, 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 uh, it's more just focused around, can I trust this? And is it simple enough for me to use it? If it's more than, you know, if it takes them more than 10, 15, 20 minutes to get onboarded or to understand what they're doing, like your drop off of users is, is astronomical. So it really comes down to being able to make it a simple experience and then also help people understand why they need to care about this. Like, why, what's the reason to 
um, you know, to to be using one of these platforms in the first place. So there's we, there's still a lot of hurdles to overcome there. Um, you know, again, that's where that's where Wonderfy really fits in. But uh, I, I think what you'll see if you look at the market right now in terms of different platforms, there there's a very clear distinction between uh, platforms that are catering towards this advanced crypto trader, and then platforms that are really trying to dumb it down and get more on the sort of mainstream knowledge and understanding so that they can bring more people into digital assets. Because the, and, and you know, the last point I'll say about it is I think there, there is a big risk with digital assets with crypto that it becomes this insular asset class that only um, people that have a, a certain amount of knowledge or experience can, can, can access. And then that does away with the whole premise of what this has to offer, which is really democratizing finance. So that's a it's a huge point and, and something that's really important to us. So so what what do you what do you guys see as as tipping points? And like as an example, I'll take the internet again. People were uncomfortable putting their credit cards into the internet. And up to 2001, 2002, maybe even 2003, I would hear people saying, you know, oh, this internet thing is a fad. You know, same types of things people say about crypto right now. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I would say 2005, the year the the, the web had a, a billion users worldwide, that was kind of the tipping point or one mm -hmm. of the tipping points where no one was saying this is a fad anymore. So mm -hmm. what do you see as some of the tipping points for, for not just Bitcoin, but but all of crypto? I'll give a couple uh, from my side, and I'm sure Kevin will have a couple. I do think getting to, uh, you know, a milestone in terms of global users would would just just like you look at the the internet would, will be significant on the way to that it's definitely regulation and compliance i think when you talk to your average person about crypto that doesn't have any you know background the first things that come up are fraud money laundering scams you know those are those are the types of um things that are sort of you know in the media um because obviously they get eyeballs and, and there's obviously been some of that in the past but what regulation solves and when the securities regulators get involved, Canada, US, uh, UK, Australia, all these jurisdictions that um, that uh, are in stable economies and, and are, are well respected, them laying the, the groundwork and, and framework for how to regulate digital assets and it is really a big step in accepting these into the economy. And so that's that's a big step. And we're seeing that right now. We're Wonderfy owns BitBuy, which was the first licensed Canadian uh, crypto marketplace. Actually, the first, really the first in North America. And the Canadian regulators, uh, the Ontario Securities Commission, has uh, you know has a, a very good reputation globally. So there's a lot of global regulators that are looking to what Canada has done to regulate and seeing how that's going to be able to follow suit. And and then obviously everybody's looking at the U.S. and I know Kevin will have thoughts on that as he's been involved uh, with with various parties in, in those types of conversations. But as the U.S. starts to indicate that they're going to regulate and that this is this is here crypto is here to stay, everybody else across the globe is getting ready to um, to follow suit. So as, so as that starts to happen, you're going to start to see more acceptance uh, and and start to see you know usage uh, continue to go up and become more diverse so you're going to see a lot more retail come into uh, come into the mix so so again outside of regulation and I agree that's very important everybody mm -hmm. wants to know it's safe they're not going to get ripped off that whole yeah. thing 
what, what's what's a, and and other than number of users because I agree also that's going to be a big tipping point. What would be a, a reason where a tipping point where now everybody says, oh, okay, I need some I need some crypto in my life, not just as an investment, but for X, Y, and Z. Like, what are some tipping points there that you guys see? I think it's going to happen with payment systems. You know, the Zells and everything else that are being used now by banks are very, in my view, very inefficient, very slow and very expensive. And when the regulation comes out on stable coins and it looks very simple, it looks like it's going to be no different than a money market for Fidelity or Schwab. They're slightly different, but they're regulated FDIC insured. I think the same thing's going to happen because um, we saw this big blow up on Luna and uh, that's algorithmic and everybody's figured out that doesn't work. And the one, the only one that didn't break a buck, even Tether, broke a buck, but the one backed by the US dollar, USDC, stayed right through the chaos at a buck. And so there's others that that also uh, are going to be denominated by the dollar. But if that if that becomes, and, and you know, I we use that in our operating company's payment system. However, because it's not regulated, our compliance department only allows us to treat it as an equity. So that means we can only have 5% in it, which we do. And we have a corporate circle account and we basically stake it on a rolling 30 days at today's contract is 4.2%. So instead of holding cash, which makes 45 basis points in an environment where inflation is seven and a half percent, at least we're making 4.2 rolling 30 day contracts on USDC, but not allowed to call it a money equivalent or a dollar equivalent yet. So when that becomes an equivalent, I would rather pay all of our operating costs and our employees, I've already asked them, would you take USDC? And they said, yes, because then I don't have to transfer. You know, I've got people working for me in different countries. And if everybody's saying they'll take USDC, why do I have to fuck around with local banks in, you know, Zurich and in Boston? And there's such a pain in the ass, excuse my French, but it's the last time I transferred money, I spent 18 minutes as some person read disclosures to me for 18 minutes from a transfer from the US to Canada. What a waste of time. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. 
So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldercher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I want to go one or two steps further. Like, Let's take Canada as an example. Trudeau, and, and this is not a political statement, but Trudeau sees the bank assets of some, some of the people involved in like this truckers protest, which I barely know anything about other than that. But it seems to me that things like that, and that particularly happens in many other countries with much more authoritarian regimes, someone goes into your bank account and takes your assets. The first thing you think of is, how can I move my assets into something that can't be taken? And it seems like that potentially is a use case for, for Bitcoin or other crypto. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that, but that's not the big money. I mean, I, you know, Trudeau's thing actually was only one account at the end of the day. I dug into that story and I actually asked the bank to close the account. And it was, there was other reasons for it, but the brand damage he did to himself and the country was brutal. You're absolutely right. That was a huge mistake, but he does that quite often. Um, not that savvy at figuring out, you know, but, but I actually think not to get political, we'll be swapping them out soon. So that's okay. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, um, the, the payment world, the, the FX market is multi-trillion every week. And so that's the one where I, you, you asked what the tipping point is. The tipping point is when my employees tell me they'll take USDC in every country. That to me is a whole game changer. I mean, and I, I'm happy to be compliant. Now you're right. There's always going to be the rogue. I want to have some, uh, 
you know, some Bitcoin and decentralized wallet and my, my past phrases on a key somewhere. I get all that. I get it. But I'm in the institutional world where the demand for this stuff is ever increasing, waiting for policy. So is it the demand for Bitcoin or for stable coins? Because in a world of stable coins, do you need Bitcoin as kind of like just a currency to transfer from one to another? Or, or what's the role of, of other? Well, I, I, I had a conversation with the head of compliance at the FAB Bank uh, this, this week. And also on that call was the head of compliance uh, for BitBuy. And we talked to the bank for an hour. And what they said was their demand at their customer level is insatiable for Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDC, Polygon, and Solana. And why Bitcoin and Ethereum and Solana? And, and I'm asking not because I'm doubtful of those investments. I think they're great investments. But are they doing it just to invest because they think it's the future or do they need those? No, coins? no, no. They're just doing it because their clients are asking for a 5% allocation in their investment accounts to crypto. And they only want to have, and they're only going to give governance to large car, large market cap, highly liquid crypto assets. And those right. are the ones that they've chosen. So we, you know, we're talking to them as a service provider and they're saying, look, you've got the Canadian order. Um, we know you're compliant. Do you have the software to support a transaction for us? And we're saying, yes, we'll design it. This is the kind of conversation we're having with banks. And the only reason they'll take the call from us is we're compliant and we're operating under an order. They're not talking to anybody else because it has to be compliant within the framework of their government license. ADGM is the name of the governance there. And so, you know, we, we're, we're planning on going global with this and we're, we're talking to lots of countries. Ben can elaborate on the other ones, but this, I'm talking as an investor. I'm not just interested in the Canadian market. I want more. I want, I want to be the largest compliant exchange business in the world. That's what I'm investing for. I want every geography I can get from the compliance side. Now that will, you know, that we won't be as big as Binance, but they're not compliant. Right. No, but what, what I'm asking is why do all these investors want it other than as an investment? So, so what is, what is the demand outside of, Hey, this is an asset class that's going to go up. Well, it's, it's guys like you telling people that they should have some money in crypto as just a diversified portfolio. And a lot of people are starting to believe that. I know. So, but starting to believe that. So is it a perception thing or, or is there a real world? You, you mentioned one real world use cases as payment systems and, and that's important. And again, there are the skeptics like is, is Bitcoin a valid currency? Is Bitcoin a valid store of value? But what's, what's the tipping point where people see it as a store of value or as a currency? Like why not use just stable coins? I think when it gets regulated, like right now, Fidelity has got a whole bunch of people loading in Bitcoin into their 401ks in the United, in the U S they're allowing it. I know because, because people view it as an investment class that could go up. But, but I'm just trying to figure out why do they want Bitcoin? You mentioned a world of stable coins. What do we need Bitcoin for? And that's what I'm, I'm curious about the answer. You know, because they believe that Bitcoin is a long-term store of value. You either do or you don't. So I'm, I'm in the camp that says store of value, want to have some, want to go through the having with that. You know, the whole thing is, I think this will be long-term, a very good investment that will keep pace or even better than the S&P 500. So if I can, in the long run, over 10 years, make an average of nine, 10% a year, that'd be great. So, I, and I'm just one guy. There's lots and lots of people, but you know, just learning how to buy some Bitcoin 
just learning how to get a centralized wallet or a decentralized one is such a so hard that it's not ready for prime time yet. So, you know, we've got to get make it easier and easier and easier. Now let's take, for instance, Ethereum. So Ethereum is great as almost like a software platform for developing other crypto projects. But why do I, and, I, and again, I'm a big holder of Ethereum. I love Ethereum and many of the coins that have derived from it. But I, if I'm a skeptic, I'm asking, why do I really need this blockchain-based, decentralized focused software platform? Why can't I just use a centralized database and regular code to make the projects I wanna make? Why do I need Ethereum? Well, right now, Ethereum is still the number one way to pay. So it's gas. Um, I don't particularly find it very attractive. It's too slow. But it'll get faster after Ethereum 2.0, supposedly. Supposedly, it's going to handle up to 100,000 transactions. Four years. You know, that's, I don't think there's going to be Ethereum 2.0. I think that, that's, that's the story du jour. Every year we hear about that. I think what will happen is one of the other projects will surpass it or, you know, level two, like a polygon will become more useful because you can aggregate transactions. Who knows? That's my whole point. I mean, if you're an investor, you gotta, you gotta invest in a bunch of projects. Bitcoin is not a coin, it's software. I keep telling everybody that. And so you might as well own, you know, Solana, Helium, Pollen, uh, Serum. I mean, I, I own 32 positions because I have no idea which one's gonna make it, but I, I, I don't need them all to make it. I need two or three of them and, it, and I'll do very well. So that's sort of the investment thesis. No different than buying a, an ETF with hundred stocks in it, same idea. No, I, I, I agree. And particularly as, as it becomes more valid as a, an asset class, but in terms of valuing them, you're going to value just like a company is valued on its real world use cases, not on whether it's going to go up or down. What real world use cases do you see coming up in the next one, two, three years where everyone's going to say, oh yeah, I'm so glad they made this just like, I'm so glad they made Amazon. So then now I could buy things online and just have it delivered to my doorstep. What are, what are the things that people are going to say about crypto, you know, five years from now in terms of that? I think what will have will happen is the authentication of real world assets in jewelry and in watches and collectibles. I mean, I, I'm a very large watch collector. I'm working with a company in Switzerland um, to produce NFTs of all of my watches so that I can be selective in which ones I insure. So I'm going to save a lot of money in insurance by just simply telling Chubb, all, I want to self-insure all my watches except these 12 I'm traveling with. Here's the NFT on the 12 to authenticate them. Here's the cities they're going to be in. Quote me by the day. So Adresta is doing that out of Zurich and they have the Chubb link already. It's all, you know, it's all chain based. And I'm going to pay them to transfer the images and all the papers and everything into the, into the NFTs. I want to do that because I'm going to save a ton of money. And plus, it's kind of cool to show everybody your watch collection on your phone in 3D and, you know, really high resolution rendering. So the, that's a real use case. And so the same for jewelry. Once my wife saw that, she said, I want all my jewelry that way, too. So, I mean, all of this stuff is coming. It's all chain based. And, what, you know, why do I need it to be chain based? Like, why can't I just use a centralized database and and say, look, this is Google says this is valid. So it's valid because there's no audit trail. I need to have a transparent audit trail uh, that can be looked at by the insurer and the owner and the watch maker who's going to ask for a royalty to allow that brand to be put into a digital form. All of that, and you can't do that in a centralized database.
And so, you know, there's a real use case. HBAR is being used by Boeing right now, supply chain management. Uh, it's a quasi, you know, half centralized, half, half decentralized chain. Um, Deloitte's looking at it. I mean, look, there's so many case studies of, of, of opportunity here. And we're, I'd say we're in the first inning. I mean, in the case of what Ben is doing, he's focused on providing to consumers and businesses. I just opened up, I don't know if you know this, Ben, I just opened up a uh, institutional account with BitBuy and uh, went through the whole thing. And I'm transferring as we speak, some of my AVEX and Algo, and you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna consolidate so that PWC, which is very happy with this is saying, I want, can I get a statement from those guys each month? So, so there's a real use case. I'm using our own product because it's more compliant than these random wallets I have floating out all over the net. And I can now have uh, the, the, the auditor look at the chain every month without, I don't give a shit. I'm, I'm happy with it for them to see it. It costs me less money for them to do it this way. It's fan- so I'm, I'm, every month it's getting better. You know, and, better. and what's the, what it seems like you guys are, are aiming towards with Wonderfy is not only easy access to trading of crypto, but I personally am really excited about the tokenization of everything. So the, the, the aspect that everything could potentially be an asset class. So Ben, like, let's say you just graduated college and you tokenize 10% of your next 20 years of future earnings. So people could buy Ben coin and the, you know, this helps you pay back your student loan debt and the Ben coin rises and falls as your career prospects rise and fall. And then using a DeFi exchange, I could potentially trade that for other unusual or, or, you know, non, uh, you know, formal asset classes. So I see this as a potential tipping point when, once other things start to be tokenized and traded, have you guys encountered that at all? Yeah, I think the tokenization of assets is definitely one of the longer tail, big potential areas for, for, for blockchain and for, for crypto, uh, so to speak. So I, I, I think areas like, like real estate, uh, like collectibles, like Kevin's talked about watches, those are sort of more tangible and understandable for people. And this all comes back to the same problem that you talked about right at the start of our conversation, which is around people being able to understand and grasp the ideas. So the more we've seen, you know, I've been in the crypto space for, you know, six, six years or, or so, and have definitely seen uh, surges in more advanced ideas and and um, and and really uh, like some of these types of synthetic assets and uh, and they while there's a lot of potential there and I, I I'm with you that there uh, you know there, there's a lot of room for growth I think it's it's still very difficult for people to kind of wrap their heads around some of those more advanced um, opportunities so I think the more kind of concrete, tangible things like real estate collectibles. Those are the reason why we're seeing uh, tokenization of those assets be more successful than other things is because they're your average person can understand, okay, I can own, uh, you know, one one thousandth, one thousandth of this uh, home and, you know, be able to provably show that uh, that I, I own that, um, you know, on-chain uh, in something that's not... Uh, that cannot be manipulated and and do that in a trustless way. So I think there is there's definitely opportunity for that. But I do um, I I, de- I definitely think that the you know the the evolution is is 
really adoption of Bitcoin and, and crypto assets, you know, first um, uh, that, that that's going to really kind of get like, like Kevin said, having people just be able to try, you know, opening a wallet or opening an account and, you know, buying a little bit of Bitcoin, selling it, really kind of seeing what that actually means and what what that process looks like. That's sort of the you know gateway for people to get into uh, digital assets in a more um, you know in a more kind of involved way. I totally agree, and you guys are. I'm hoping you succeed in being the the front window to all things crypto because that's what it basically needs. I don't want to have 17 different wallets on all these weird exchanges with different regulatory issues, and you know potentially another real world use case that gets into the common imagination is is nfts and now kevin you were talking about you know collectibles and, and your watch collection and nfts around that but i always think of nfts as maybe you know it's not just a, a digital image or representing some collectible but it provides access to something so for instance a ticket to a sports event could be an nft and then you know when you're buying from a scalper whether this is real or not real ticket and 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 the original issuer of the ticket, like a sports team, could make royalties on every secondary tertiary sale. Do, do you see, where do you see NFTs coming in other than as digital collectibles? Like, do, do you see that rising up as a potential uh, tipping point? I think what's needed with NFTs that have utility is a ruling on whether they're commodities or securities, because um, right now, the most exchanges like FTX won't do them if unless the regulator, I mean, if you have an NFT and it pays you a royalty, that sounds like a dividend to me. Um, if it's an ape, I get it. And that's fine. That's just a piece of digital art. That's a commodity for sure. But that debate is ongoing and is being contemplated in the policy being you know, put forward. And I don't think we're going to get it till after the midterms, but it's discussed in the Lummis bill. And she's proposing that they are commodities, which is a good ruling if that happens. But you got to have the ruling. So I don't see NFTs really getting big. Most of the people screwing around that stuff are doing it on a rogue basis. Um, and I don't think any companies will be doing NFT tickets until they get a ruling on it. I'm not the big guys, you know, like Live Nation or something. They won't do that. So it, everybody's waiting for compliance and policy and the potential. Meanwhile, the, the technology is getting advanced. You know, it gets better and better each quarter. Better ideas come out. Mutable Holdings has just launched their NFT.com site. And I think they've got $6 million in the first day from all of these corporations that wanted to license NFT forward slash Nike, NF, you know, forward slash Procter & Gamble, that kind of thing. So they're just getting the infrastructure set up. And, and again, it reminds me of the, the internet. Like nobody was really sure in the 90s how, for instance, e-commerce sales were going to be taxed. And once yeah. the regulations subside, you know, were, were fixed on that, e-commerce, of course, exploded. And what, what do you see as a timeline for this tipping point to happen? I think 36 months, three years. It's not going away. I mean, you know, the executive order out of the president's office says, okay, crypto's here to stay. Let's start putting policy on it. So it, we're, we're, at the, we're at the beginning. So it's, I think we're, you know, it's a really good time to be an investor. That's the way I look at it. You know, and the, and the other use cases, again, a, a lot of countries where the citizens don't trust their own currency, not only do they need a store of value, they can't use gold. It's not like you can trans transport gold 
from Argentina to, you know, some other country. It's yeah, but I, I don't I think I don't think the gold market goes away. It just gets supplemented with crypto, you know. And I, I just I happen to think Bitcoin will always be the granddaddy coin. And there's a lot of institutional interest in it as soon as it gets regulated. And the way you know it's regulated is when the US allows the first spot priced ETF, which Canada already has. So you can buy, you know, an equity, you can buy a Bitcoin ETF, you can buy Ethereum ETF. It's um, same thing will happen in the US. And, and with WonderFi, which by the way is public on various exchanges, public in Canada, right? What's the exchange in Canada it's public on? The NEO. It's the on Neo. the NEO exchange, which is, not, which is in, in a transaction with the CBOE. So it'll be a much, it's a very liquid market. Your goal essentially is to, to provide this, this platform where it really is one-stop shopping. I could buy my crypto, I could create my NFTs or buy my NFTs. I have this window into the world and I, and I could trust it. It's not, it's not going to just disappear or collapse. Oh, it's more than that. It's one-stop compliant shopping. So, you know, that's why I'm moving my AVEX and ALGO into my BitBuy wallet so that I can be compliant with my auditor because we were each month, it was such a pain in the ass. These are, you know, disparate, separate wallets out there. It was just a hassle. Total hassle. I am so glad you convinced me that the family car should be the Defender 110. It is so beautiful inside. It's so comfortable and it just feels indestructible. Yes, it really is. I've been waiting a long time for the new model to come out. The Defender 110, I'm telling you, it's my favorite car of all times. It's my third one. You know, I have stories of going off road. The guy managed the group. He was like, what are you doing in this beautiful car? I'm like, I'm going off road. He's like, are you sure? Because you can use one of ours. And then they look like Mad Max cars. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this. And he was shocked. Wow. Well, it's great because the Defender has been reimagined for 21st century adventure and its unparalleled off-road ability as well as its robust interior are invaluable whether you're headed towards uncharted territory or just a weekend of exploration. The Defender 110 tackles challenging surroundings with absolute confidence. The SUV conveys strength outside and in featuring peerless technology like an intuitive driver display and an award-winning infotainment system. That's my favorite part, to keep you connected no matter where the journey takes you. Adventure is unique to everyone, and so is the Defender. Choose from the two-door Defender 90, the four-door Defender 110, or the larger Defender 130 with the ability to seat up to eight passengers. You'll find uncompromising performance in all three. So pack up and go even further with the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS, HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. 
The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use him for now. Not that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hims.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. You guys are also doing stuff with gaming. What are you doing with gaming? So uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, who's the founder CEO of FTX, is a investor and an advisor to the company. And one of the things that Sam has has really focused on and, and been outspoken about is bringing people into digital assets. There's there's really a couple of major on ramps. One the, the the biggest one to date has been trading, which is, you know, that's what our business is. That's what FTX's business is. It's people coming in to, to buy and sell crypto. And uh, the second one, which he sees as potentially bringing in the next billion users into crypto is, is play to earn gaming. So that's targeting people that aren't looking to trade, but they can earn uh, digital assets through playing games that they, that they love and enjoy. And it's what that brings is a lower customer acquisition cost for those users. And it allows us to, to give the users the ability to claim rewards that they earn, uh, NFTs or other digital assets through their wallets. So through a Wonderfly wallet, through a BitBuy wallet. And, and then that's sort of a, you know, a, a very smooth segue into trading and other products. So it's really that you know the gaming side is uh, is focusing on high quality games that we can use to on ramp people more more and more people into digital assets and and the the whole ecosystem uh, you know you can look at trading in in a silo but it really ties in with with all of these other evolving parts of of the digital asset landscape and so our view is the more we can create this simple unified access to everything that people are are focused on within the space, you know, the more users we're going to be able to retain, the better experience we're going to be able to provide. And, uh, and, and that's, that's really kind of the thesis behind this. And, and the purpose of using crypto and play to earn gaming, why don't people just use dollars? Why don't they earn dollars in play to earn gaming? Is it because they want to transfer digital assets from maybe one game to another? So it's, it's interoperable. Yeah. Interoperability is a big one. There's, um, going back to payments, it, it can be pretty inefficient for people to be using dollars in gaming versus digital assets. There's a bunch of advantages just from a efficiency, cost, um, transparency standpoint, so that if a company goes under, for example, you don't lose all of your assets. 
they're you know verifiable and you can own and control those assets. So I think that autonomy is really important, especially for people in the gaming world. And and interoperability, like you said, is is a key one. So you can, for example, you know, one of the things that we're doing is is partnering with a couple of providers that have these really vast uh, metaverses. So you can earn assets within a WonderFi game, like for example, a, a Kevin O'Leary character, and then you're able to actually go and take that uh, NFT character and take it into more of a metaverse game or, or opportunity and, and roam around and then go and play different games with it. So the interoperability is really interesting because it then expands the utility of for somebody outside of just that solo game. And so will you be operating some games or just kind of uh, providing the payment system so the currencies can go back and forth between the games? We're doing a little bit of both. So definitely the, the focus is, is around being the access point, sort of the, the picks and shovels that goes back to our exchange business and providing the wallets. There are some good opportunities for building games and, and also acquiring existing games that don't have the NFT and play to earn component. So that's that's kind of our launch uh, of, of Wonderfy Interactive is, is with the game that we're acquiring, which is uh, called Godzilla versus King Kong. And it's based on the the, um, the IP from Legendary Films. And it's a really, it's actually a really fun game. It's it's in the um, Apple and, and Android stores. And you just basically go around, smash buildings and your character grows bigger. And then you get to earn different, um, you know, new characters or pieces of equipment or things like that. And then when you do, you can claim them through your Wonderfy wallet. Um, so that's a, that's a very, it's a great asset. It's a very high quality game. And, uh, and it's also something that's really repeatable. So we can do that with all kinds of different IP. When do you think I'll be able to like log into my Chase bank account and maybe see uh, a, a white label Wonderfy in there to manage all my crypto assets? I just want, I just want to deal with Chase. I think it could be within the next 18 to 24 months. And, and I say that because there's a lot of banks that are looking very closely at digital assets and are uh, with us having these first licenses for crypto exchanges, we're getting a lot of you know interest and banks really want to explore what they could do to really key demographic of Gen Z and millennials that care about digital assets, right? They're looking at money differently than than sort of their elders. The bank knows this is a key demographic, so they're trying to stay ahead of things. So I've, I've had conversations with major you know banks in the US and in Canada how can they offer a stable coin that generates interest for their customers without really saying hey this is defi or this is a stable coin or whatever just making it really simple hey this is a uh, you know a high yield savings account and then in the background um, you you know you've got a stable coin that's being lent out um, or things like that so banks are actively looking at that and i think the quicker we can get more comfort around regulation and the more time you have as a regulated exchange, because part of the, the bank's risk profile is they want to be able to see somebody's accountable, risk profile is acceptable, but they also want to see that there's time that's elapsed. So nothing bad has happened. And so you need a, a bit of lead time, but I, I could see in the next 18 to 24 months for sure, something like that happening. I think Wonderfy sounds great. So where can people find out more about Wonderfy? Where can they invest in it? How do they learn more? So our, our website is wonder.fi, and that has uh, information about uh, 
the Wonderfly app, Bitbuy. Uh, we've got an investor relations section. As you mentioned, we're, we're publicly traded. So uh, there's, uh, you know, all of our investor deck and financials and, and things like that there. And uh, that's, the, that's the best place to go uh, to, to learn more about the company. And, and we've got a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of great content online for people wanting to learn more about crypto, um, you know, sort of get educated and, and really just kind of look to dip their toes in the water. So um, I think that's probably the best starting point for people. Excellent. Well, all right, you guys, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast. And, and I really hope, and it sounds like you're succeeding in your mission, which is going to definitely bring uh, ease of use to, to hopefully hundreds of millions of users, which is, I, I believe is the most important part of this tipping point that's going to happen. Thank you. Thanks so much, James. Great conversation.